Welcome to Ms. Interpreted, her podcast of public relations and strategic communications, demystified by Kelly Fletcher and Fletcher Marketing PR. The reality of it is once you do it for a while and it works really well, it is much harder from the employer standpoint to say, Mayor Beth, I, I can't allow you to work from home anymore. It's an undue hardship. And you're able to point back and go, well, what do you mean it's an undue hardship? I've been able to do this, this, and this, and I'm just as productive. So that's one way it's changing the dynamic. I think the other way it is changing it is people get comfortable working from home. They enjoy it. And maybe they stop and, and think, you know, I really don't want to do the job I'm currently doing. I can do something else from my house. And so I'm going to go down a new career path. And so that's a, I think that's clearly an unexpected consequence. Welcome, listeners, to the Misinterpreted Podcast. I'm Kelly Fletcher, CEO of Fletcher Marketing PR. And as always, I'm here with my colleague and dear friend, Fletcher Senior Strategist, Mary Beth West. We are back together in studio. We've yes. been doing a lot of remote and it's a beautiful autumn day. And it's just that we've been having some crazy travel schedules yeah. between the two of us. And while it's good to be back, I almost feel guilty being here because things are so crazy back in the they, office. Yeah, they have gotten very busy. And welcome listeners. It's great to be here with all of you. And of course, with Kelly as well. And I can confirm things are busy. I've uh I have to hand it to our team at Fletcher. They're hitting on all cylinders with everything that's going on. They really are. And we've had some big wins yeah. lately. Big international companies. Bacher, which is a chemical company, and Virgin Experience Gifts, which is a, a Virgin brand, part of the Richard Branson family of brands, based in the UK, acquired a company here. And so um, really proud of our team for winning yeah. those two pieces of business. And Mary Beth, you were a critical part of that. So. Well, thank you. And, it, and it's uh, very exciting to be able to work with companies that are very purpose-focused companies. So yeah, we've got some interesting work ahead of us as well. Fun work. And it is. And I have to say that after all that's happened these past two years with pandemic madness yes. and all these life changes that I've yeah. made in particular, I just feel so uplifted by the team that we have right now and the work yeah. we're doing. I mean, we really have the best team that we've ever had. And I'm so thankful for that and for you and for oh, each well, of them. Well, and it was recently Boss's Day. And I have to say, we're very thankful for you too, Kelly. You've been a great leader for us. And Having a cohesive team is a very big deal, and it is just tremendously important for business and organizational success. And with everything that's occurred with the pandemic these past months and really, you know, going on right at the doorstep of two years, you have to look at at this point as we look toward next year, the importance of team and the importance of your employee base. It's really the perfect segue for our chat today. On the employee-employer dynamic, we've seen so much in the business press these recent months about the global impact of COVID and the employment and employee shifts that are happening right now as fallout from this crisis. So today we wanted to have a discussion that offers a comparison contrast of where we were at the onset of the pandemic in terms of employee-employer issues and, and where things are now. And we are quite happy to have back in studio with us for the second time, Chad Hatmaker, who originally recorded with us in March 2020. We were saying in some ways it feels like yesterday and other ways it feels like a lifetime ago. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> so 
Chad's legal insights informed us so much about what was unfolding back then in real time, very early on in the pandemic, really within the within 30 days of the shutdown. So we wanted to have him return to shed light on where things stand now regarding workforce and and labor issues. Yeah. Yeah. And just as a point of introduction for our listeners, Chad Hetmaker is an attorney with Knoxville law firm Wolf McLean Bright Allen and Carpenter, PLLC. And as a reminder as well, Chad and I worked on some crisis preparedness strategies and advice for both the legal and public relations profession some years ago. And so I've really enjoyed a nice working relationship with Chad and his law practice has included a focus on employment law, among numerous other areas. You can follow his blog at tnemploymentlawblog.com. He's a University of Tennessee alumnus, Phi Beta Kappa, and is in the labor and employment sections of the Tennessee Bar Association and the American Bar Association. And one point of accolade here, in 2015, Chad was selected as a fellow in the Knoxville Bar Association. Chad, thanks for joining us on Misinterpreted. Thanks so much for having me back. And it's it's crazy when you say it's been 20 months, because in some ways, as you referenced, it feels like it's been 20 years. Yes. In, in some cases, it feels like wait a minute, it's been 20 months because it's the same thing every day or for a long time. It's like Groundhog Day. It was Groundhog Day for a while and now it's Groundhog Day Part 2. It's maybe slightly different. So hard to believe. But it's it's always a pleasure to be with you all and you have such a high quality work and and great reputation and great results for your clients. And I'm honored to be a part of it. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, that really means a lot coming from you. So to kick things off, Chad, as we mentioned, it's, it's been almost two years since the term COVID-19 first entered the world's vernacular. And boy, how things have changed. Yes. When we last spoke on the podcast in March 2020, the full brunt of the pandemic was only just beginning to descend on the U.S. We had no idea what was coming. I don't think we could have. In a way, I'm glad we didn't, because I, I'm not sure that mentally we could have handled it if we knew. It was bad enough as it was. bad enough yeah. as it is. But when you think back to that time frame, what were your own greatest concerns last spring, the spring of 2020, either spoken or unspoken? And I'll add, to what extent were those greatest concerns that you actually held back, then either realized or averted? You know, it's really, I would say it's twofold. It was, you had the personal concern mm-hmm. and you had the business concern. I mean, personally, I think we would be lying if you didn't say, hey, I'm concerned but particularly think in March of 2020, think about how little was known about COVID. And so the concern was, if I get it, am I going to die? I mean, I'm probably not going to die. I'm young. I'm healthy. I'm somewhat young. I'm healthy. But is it going to be a very severe illness? What if my family members get it? You know, children with potential limitations, what's going to happen to them? So from a personal standpoint, that was a concern. And Mm -hmm. from a business standpoint, Hey, I got a law firm with with 30 lawyers here. And what if all of a sudden we're in a bad situation or we're crippled because our clients are crippled? You know, they're not able to do their business. They're shut down. Right. March of 2020 yeah. businesses were closing. What's essential? You had to give advice regarding essential businesses. How long is that going to stay in place as far as a shutdown or a limitation? So all of those were concerns. So, you know, how did they play out? Well, personally, I rocked and rolled along long enough that I was like, eh, I'm not going to get COVID. 
And then the day after Thanksgiving last year, uh, I actually went and exercised and I was like, I'm really tired from this today. And anyway, long story somewhat short, two days later, a Sunday after Thanksgiving, my lovely wife comes into the kitchen and she sees that I have a scented candle unlit as close to my nose as possible, like I was trying to snort it in. And she goes, what are you doing? I said, I can't smell. And she's like, go to the third floor immediately. You know, so my, my son, who, was, who at that point was a recent graduate from UT, was living with us, right? Because, you know, he's sort of shut down. He had had it earlier, very mild case. I got it uh, about a three weeks later, very mild case. And then the rest of my family dodged it. Uh, Leslie, my wife, says the women in our family are immune and the men are not. And knock on <laughs> knock on wood, that proved to be true. But yeah. it was it, I was very fortunate. It was very mild. And obviously, compared to so many people who we all know who have had very bad outcomes, very blessed that my bout with it was incredibly mild. Would not have known until I lost my sense of smell. Just thought I was tired and congested and you know, that's normal. Mm-hmm. From, from a business standpoint, you know, we were blessed. Uh, we and our clients were blessed for the most part. Certainly some of them have had hardships, but through various things, I know we're going to talk about PPP and other things. A lot of clients kept operating, you know, close to business as normal. Uh, they worked through the limitations on their businesses and generally prospered or at least maintained and 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 that was certainly true at, at Wolf McLean. We were we were blessed with it and have been fortunate did not have any situations where we had to make any reductions or anything like that. So so that was again we're blessed and very fortunate. It felt like during that time that businesses either were weathering the storm well or they just weren't weathering it at all. There wasn't a lot of middle ground. I think that's right, Kelly and I, and I may have said this when we now, it's probably too early when we did this 20 months ago, but, but what I found early on with businesses were that they either were very in tune to what were the restrictions going to be and how they were going to deal with them, or to your point, they didn't weather them. They just kind of buried their head in the sand and, and unfortunately got buried. So, yeah. Right. That's right. It, it's a key question, I think, of leadership, honestly, because... Uh, the leadership aspect is, am I going to take on this challenge and take on this crisis from a head on perspective or am I going to sit and wait and wait for the crisis to happen to me? I mean, it's really a mindset thing. And it's it's been you, there's been so many lessons in leadership from this whole situation as it's unfolded. And Chad, back in uh, March 2020, the business world, of course, was positioning itself for this massive what was called the Paycheck Protection Program, or PPP, the government-backed loans to help companies bridge the gap to surviving this initial shockwave of you know the economic impact that came from this. And I remember a lot of our conversation was focused on that topic because it was only ju- you know the legislation for it was just in the public sphere, and it was about everything was about to be signed off on and. So once the dust settled from that whole process last year, what were your observations about how you saw companies rebound or or not? Because I just remember so much conversation about that. And it was such a, a topic uh, of interest. And then you're right. At that point, it had just been announced that the ink wasn't even dry on it yet. What we've seen is that PPP for the 
persons who are in the businesses who qualified was the helping hand that the government intended it to be. And that mm-hmm. part of it worked, certainly, in, in what we have seen. Not aware of any local abuse or fraud. Certainly, we all recall that, you know, when Harvard was receiving PPP and some of the other uh, large companies with, you know, either in the case of Harvard, huge endowments or companies with huge war chests. That was a very negative, and most of those uh, companies gave it back. There were some, obviously, examples of fraud. Again, I'm not aware of locally, but others that were in the news. But I think here, from from what my experience has been, PPP did what it was supposed to do. It helped companies either get through the rough patch or make sure that they weren't rolling into 2021 with, okay, I'm still around, but one bad event not related to COVID or COVID-related can put me under. Mm-hmm. That, that part was successful where we saw problems, and I know you all have experienced them as well, was with the part of the, and it really wasn't part of PPP, but if part of the, the entire you know, COVID Relief Act, where the unemployment benefit for the state of Tennessee was so high, $600 a week, that's a lot of money in a lot of situations in, in East Tennessee. And so I had many clients that had people who would not come to work because they could make more money staying home. Right. And, and we're still dealing with the fallout we're from that. still dealing with that. Yes, that's exactly right. Well, I was an early expert on PPP. I jumped on that and I think I even asked you some questions. And then I helped some of my friends who were small business owners navigate their way through because they didn't know how. And especially if you didn't have a tight relationship with your banker, it some of that was really... Daunting. You were were behind the eight ball. Absolutely. And it was not a fair playing field necessarily. So, but I've heard, and and we did get PPP. We lost probably about 30, we were probably down about 30%. And PPP really, really helped us. And I've heard so many business owners who have said, if I did not have that, we would not have made it. So I think I agree with you overall that it was good for our country and necessary. But, you know, now like we have, we have, you know, clients in hospitality and tourism that are really still struggling to get anybody to work and they're they've got parts of their restaurants closed or, you know, they're operating at reduced hours. And, and it's so frustrating because the demand, the consumer demand for travel and to the pin up demand yes. has merited their, you know, hopefully having this burgeoning comeback and yet you can't have a comeback if you can't service the business. Right. Right. So it is frustrating. Well anyway Chad, as an attorney, you live and operate every day in a mindset of helping your clients avoid unnecessary risk. Risk management is a huge part of what you do, helping clients remain compliant with the law. So on the client side, how have you seen business owners weather the storm from your vantage point? What have been their biggest struggles and, and what have you seen as some of the biggest mistakes that you saw? One of the biggest struggles we just touched on is getting enough people to work, right? And and so there were there were several things there. Part of it was the fear of COVID, and so people just didn't want to come in, and and in some cases, very legitimate fear, right? I'm not I'm not casting that aside. Part of it was what we just talked about with the unemployment benefit being so high, and that you had people who who could make more or as much staying home doing nothing, and they weren't ready to come in. And then now what that has morphed into is with the, the vaccination issue is that's become such a hot button issue. Right. And that's and I know we'll talk more about that, but clients preparing for, OK, if I'm of the size 
where I have to have mandatory vaccination, what's that going to do to my workforce? Is it going to lead to a, a mass walkout? Probably not. But in a situation where it's such a tight labor market anyway, is it going to be an impact that I don't have enough or I've only got enough right now to, to meet the base, basic requirements? Now, if I have 10 people walk off in a workforce of 100, that's, that's 10%. That's a, that's a huge hit. So that's been the struggle, I think, is to keep the workforce there. Uh, it's been a struggle with, okay, how do I manage workforce and COVID? Meaning Chad's been exposed, and so does he stay home now for 10 days? Or Chad's wife has it. What do I do with him? Can he come in? Or a, a bigger problem, you know, Chad has it and Chad doesn't know it and he worked today and he exposed everybody on his production line and, and how do I deal with that? So that's been the struggle or another struggle that businesses have faced. On your point of what's been the biggest mistake, you know, Mary Beth alluded to it earlier, right? Failure to plan uh, and, yeah. and mm-hmm. not being on top of it and, and just ignoring it. That's been the biggest mistakes we've seen when the client calls and they're already in sort of the dire or the critical situation, we're still going to try to steer them out of it. But it's one of those situations where if you had maybe acted two steps earlier, you would be in a lot better position. You wouldn't be in this critical condition that you're in now. Yeah, I think that for so many business leaders, just having the right counsel around them, not only legal counsel, but also public relations counsel to deal with the perceptual issues that fall out of the business realities. I mean, we talked earlier about the PPP thing. I was actually expecting far more public negative backlash against companies, particularly at local levels, like within the state of Tennessee or even in Knoxville or where we where we're headquartered here. Just, you know, more people pointing fingers at companies they felt shouldn't have received aid or just all those perceptions. And that didn't seem to happen as much. I'm glad it didn't, but it it, it just, uh, that was one of the things that I was thinking when PPP came out that, that I thought that was one of the PR issues that we were going to have to deal with far more. You talked about vaccination and that is just, that continues to be such a politically, a political hot button and politicized issue. And it's so unfortunate that this has become so hyper politicized. And I think about things like how the CDC has handled communications, all this confusion that has been out there. I mean, Kelly, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, I think I could say that the Knox County Health Department reached out last fall and they reached out to a couple agencies for communication support and, and advice. And I spent a lot of time pulling together you know, recommendations and, you know, where I felt their shortcomings were. And the fact that there was no campaign, there was no campaign, no educational campaign, no real call to action, no use of influencers. Right. It was all government talking heads, telling people what to do for the most part in our community. Rather, let's find some people who actually have a voice that East Tennesseans are going to listen to. And that's probably not going to be a government or an official in the health department. Right. Everybody was not trusting of them. And so they ended up uh, not hiring a firm because probably I think we all gave them a price tag that was too high because we're like, you have no idea how much work this is. No idea. Right. To change. And we often talk about, and you talk about 
Chad, you know, sometimes battles are won in, won in the court of public opinion. Right. Well, I felt like that as a local, uh, as Knox County, and the way we handled things, that we didn't, we did not fare well in the court of public opinion because mm-hmm. there was no real communication strategy. Right, right. And that is something that takes a lot of skill and you do need outside uh, help because you don't see things. The curse of knowledge when you're right in the middle of it all, there's things that you can't see. So, Well, and I will just interject that it's unfortunate that at the national level, the CDC, for example, and the federal powers that be, and bridging this over to both presidential administrations, the one that that was in 2020 and this year as well, they just failed to coordinate with getting a cohesive message, non-politicized messaging and call to action out there. And it's really the politicization of it that I think has kept so many people from getting vaccinated. They view it now as a politicized issue and and, and they're letting that drive their decision making in so many cases, not every case, but some. Well, and to your point, Chad, I mean, we have a client right now that they know they're going to lose nine to 10% of their workforce. I mean, they, they know who they're going to lose. They have planned to that degree, but they don't know how they're going to replace them. And so we were really busy right at the beginning of the pandemic because we were trying to advise our clients and help our clients and not charge them any extra because we didn't feel like that was fair. And Mary Beth, to your credit, before the, the shutdown in January and February, Mary Beth said, we need to call every one of our clients. This is coming. We need to call them. We need to encourage them. Let's start planning Let's start projecting what we're going to have to deal with from employee communications, crisis communications. And quite frankly, didn't get a whole lot of response. Uh, Yeah, I think initially a lot of clients were thinking this is still a West Coast, because this was back in February of 2020, early February 2020, when we saw some of these rumblings of what was happening initially on the West Coast. And yeah, I think there is that human reaction of, it's sort of a denial phase. I mean, do you see that some with your clients? Yes, absolutely. I had the most pro, I'm trying to think what I can say on this point. I had a client reach out to me in February of last year who wanted to take measures to address an employee who was coming back from an overseas Southeast Asia trip. And of course, at that point, that was, you know, really the only place it wasn't even in the states yet. Really. Right. Or, or maybe it was, but not much. It was more in in the in Southeast Asia part of the world. And so the client wanted to take steps to deal with this employee's return. And we walked through that. And I remember thinking, wow, you are really, you know, kudos to you. You're really yeah. ahead of the game. But I also kind of thought, yeah, I mean, you're probably over preparing here. It's probably not going to be much of an issue. And then within 10 days, it had, you know, pun intended, spread like wildfire, right? right? It was everywhere. So yeah, you, you do see a lot of that. Right. Well, shifting uh, topics slightly from vaccination to this whole work from home movement. I mean, work from home has changed everything about the workplace dynamic in practically every company or organization, particularly that works in an office type environment, but others too. Chad, you predicted last year that work from home may usher in very specific permanent changes in employee law or employment law, 
particularly with a lot of these new precedents that were being set. So how has work from home permanently changed workplace legal considerations from your vantage point? It's changed in a couple of ways. And and you're right. You know, we talked about that last year and historically any employee who wanted to work from home and most employers said that's an undue hardship on me. I mean, if I've got it, as we talked about working from home could be a reasonable accommodation under the Americans with Disabilities Act. More often than not, employers said, I, I can't do that. That'll create an undue hardship. I've got to have you here. I've got to have you here so you can interact with your coworkers. I've got to have it here so I can, you here so I can interact with you. I've got to see how productive you are, right? All, all of those things. And we talked last year how, well, that argument's going to be weakened greatly because so many of us, and I think in a lot of cases, to the surprise of maybe the employee and certainly the employer, you're able to work from home and be very efficient. The EEOC put out an announcement last year that said, okay, working from home, this does not mean this is always a reasonable accommodation. This is not, you know, a permanent finding. The reality of it is once you do it for a while and it works really well, it is much harder from the employer standpoint to say, Mayor Beth, I, I can't allow you to work from home anymore. It's an undue hardship. And you're able to point back and go, well, what do you mean it's an undue hardship? I've been able to do this, this, and this, and I'm just as productive. So that's one way it's changing the dynamic. I think the other way it is changing it is people get comfortable working from home. They enjoy it. And maybe they stop and and think, you know, I really don't want to do the job I'm currently doing. I can do something else from my house. And Mm so... I'm going to go down a new career path. And so that's, I think that's clearly an unexpected consequence is people realize it's like if I leave a football game early with my wife, which over the years at Tennessee has been unfortunately more of a, (laughs) more of a reality than I would like. But I think the first time I did it, I got home. I was able to, to, you know, watch it on the big screen, pour myself a beverage of my choice. And I said, I've seen how the other half lives (laughs) working from home. It's, kind of like you see how the other half lives, right? And so you're, wait a minute, I could do my job for Mary Beth or for Kelly or for Chad at home, but what else could I do from home? What doors, what avenues does that allow me to go down? Unintended consequences, people are choosing new career paths because they recognize they can do things from their house that may be more, they may be more passionate about or more relaxing for them, less stressful, any number of things. So that's another issue that we're having to deal with from the work at home movement. Well, we changed. I mean, we pivoted. We're hybrid now. So, you know, we had our fancy office on Market Square for 11 years and our lease was up at the end of 2020 and we didn't renew and we went into co-working space. So we still have a standalone office within that space, but it's smaller and it's it's a meeting place. It's a place for us to collaborate. And I saw that once we all started working from home, productivity was not an issue. The bigger issue was how do you maintain culture when you're not all together all the time? You know, you miss a little of the, some, a lot of those special moments or those interactions or those just a spark of an idea. So now um, I let the team decide when they want to come in, you know, when they want to collaborate how they want to do it. And that's working really well and they love it. And it's actually been a good recruitment tool for us. So, but that, that the culture issue, well, that's a whole other podcast. Well, that is. Yeah, yeah, it is. And I mean, it did break the mold in terms of how 
employees and just workforce in general, how they self-perceive, they, you know, how they do work and what their self-determination, so to speak, is in that context. It, it's been a huge game changer. It has. And I'm surprised. I mean, I've, I've read the numbers in our, in our industry in particular and marketing communications, public relations. So many firms are, are doing hybrid, not going back to the, to the full office setting. But anyway, I'll, I'll keep, I'll get back on topic here. So not only have we seen the pandemic, but we've seen a great deal of social upheaval Mm -hmm. since the spring of 2020. And just when you think it's all settling down, something else bubbles up to the surface. I call it COVID crazy. Like I've just seen some people just go off like crazy. I mean, even some of our clients. So um, all of this is impacting conversations about other areas of workplace legal compliance and changes in various aspects of employment law. So Chad, what have been a few of the most significant regulatory shifts that you've seen take place or that you see in the works now coming down the pike? And Kelly, I think that'll be what we are likely to see because, you know, frankly, as we've spent, you know, the time so far talking about COVID is dominating everything. It's, It's dominating what the new administration is trying to do as well. So they've not really had an opportunity to move past that to what I think a lot of the rest of their agenda will be. But I anticipate we're going to see, particularly for federal contractors, which they can control through executive order, I suspect we will see some diversity measures uh, in some shape, form, or fashion. I think we will absolutely see some equal pay measures. And and that's something that needs to be addressed. It needs needed to be addressed for for decades is the equal you know pay between men and women doing the same job. And there, there's been an equal pay act for, I guess, since the seventies, but in the Obama administration, they were trying to pass another law that would, that would reinforce equal pay, have more requirements, more teeth to it. And it never made it through. I anticipate the Biden administration will pick that back up. I think just, Right now, they're trying to wrap their arms around COVID and and mandatory vaccination. So I think clients need to be ready for that. And one way to be ready is you need to audit your workforce and look and see, okay, do I have men and women doing the same job or substantially similar jobs? And how are they compensated? Are they equal? If they're not equal, why is that? Is there a legitimate basis for that? Does one have a master's degree and one doesn't? And that's a value here. Or, well, one's got a master's degree, but they don't need it for their jobs. So why are they being paid differently? So you need employers should be doing those audits. And then from just a diversity standpoint, what will we see there? Uh, we may see some training requirements that might be put down through executive order again, which would only cover federal contractors. I think the equal pay aspect, if not just federal contractors could be to all employers. I think another thing that we, we might see again, this is, would be federal contractors is the Office of Federal Contract Compliance Programs, which audits employers that have to do affirmative action plans, those requirements might become more stringent. So I think those will be the hot topic items we will see. From a practical standpoint in the the social unrest, COVID crazy that you referenced, some of what we dealt with there in the last year would be everybody's friend social media. And this employee makes a post that says, Black Lives Matter. And then another employee makes a post that says blue lives matter. And then that turns into 
a squabble on Facebook or Twitter or wherever it is, and the employer has to deal with that. That is something that we dealt with quite a bit last year because during the summer of, of unrest, when the social right. movements, social uh, justice movements were so strong, you saw a lot of that where coworkers either were getting into a squabble over whichever movement they supported or, and this happened with, with you know, locally and elsewhere, someone would make it what was perceived to be an unpopular post and customers or I guess members of the public at large would figure out that person worked for XYZ company and they would contact XYZ company, look at what your employee posted and then employer had to take in some cases action against that employee, whether it be termination or something else. So that was another part of the, social justice movement that we saw from an employer employee standpoint. Well, I'm really curious to ask, ask you a a lot of times we do help our clients with social media policies. How enforceable are social media policies? If your business has one, you know, regarding upholding the core values of the company on personal social media, you know, is that a gray area? Where do you see things going with that? Social media policies are generally enforceable. The, the danger from an employer standpoint there is the post at issue going to constitute what is called concerted activity, which is protected activity under the National Labor Relations Act, which most people associate with unions, and that is the primary purpose of it, but it also allows employees to engage in what the law calls concerted activity regarding their terms and conditions of employment. Well, concerted activity really means two or more people. So here's how it plays out in real time. If I post something negative about the company and you like it, is it concerted activity? Well, there's two people involved there. I mean, it might be. And so then, so I always tell employers on that, okay, let's look at what is being said. Is this an individual gripe, which is generally not protected, or is this a statement about the workplace in general and unfair treatment? Is it a statement that more than one person is supporting or is it on behalf of a group? So the second part of it is what's being said and then who all is saying. Is it just one person? Is it a group of people? That's always the analysis that has to happen. At the end of the day, the policies are enforceable. You can terminate, provided again, you're not terminating someone for engaging in what could be concerted activity. The other thing about that to keep in mind is that the National Labor Relations Act is enforced by the National Labor Relations Board. And it is probably historically the most politically based board that we see, meaning that whatever administration is in, they just turn the board over. So during a Republican administration, the board tends to be employer friendly. During a Democratic administration, the board tends to be employee friendly. Right now, you've got, you inherited a board that was Republican based, pro-employer. That'll start to turn over. So what you'll see in the course of this four-year term is a decision that the board made probably four or five years ago might get overturned. End of the day, social media policies, if the employee is on social media, just generally griping, generally going to be okay to terminate them. If they're talking about a more fundamental issue, Chad Hatmaker's unfair because he pays women less than men, that's going to be problematic on numerous levels and you would not be able to take action based on that. That's really complicated. Yeah. Um, There's so much subjectivity 
yes, yeah. some of that too. But the power of social media to impact a brand's reputation and bottom line and sales is very real. Absolutely. And there's no measuring stick for what is being said is whether it's true or not. And boycotts. I mean, we saw right. a lot of brands being boycotted for things that happened on things that were said on social media. So yeah, I think that we're going to see a lot more of that because it's become such a divisive platform. It has. And, and to your point there, the employer has got to decide when do I need to get the professionals, right? When do I need to get you all involved to deal with the fallout? You know, who's, I guess the third part of that is what's being said, who's saying it. And then the third one, Who's listening, right? If it's just somebody on their Facebook page, more often than not, okay, we probably are not worried about it. But if they're really taking it to multiple forums and you see that there's customer fallout, then that's when you have to get the the PR team involved and how do we deal with this, yeah. right? How do yeah. we address it and how do we respond so that we don't let this turn, this molehill turn into a mountain? Right. And it doesn't take long. No. no, no, it does not. It absolutely doesn't. Well, let's look at a little bit more toward 2022. And you've talked about so many different issues and trends that are in progress now. Obviously, this is going to be a long running you know, cascading series of both legislative and legal issues that companies and leaders are going to have to manage going forward. But when you think about some of the universal pains and struggles that CEOs and management teams are encountering that foreshadow issues that they will likely encounter next year, what kind of bubbles to the top is maybe the top two or three things that you're thinking that are going to be the key issues? Workforce, is, yep. you know, retention is going to be one of them, right. right? Can I get enough people? How do I deal with the vaccine mandate? What am I going to do? Uh, you know, I think that's going to be, we don't have, so just as a reminder there, the federal contractors have got their mandate, but OSHA, which is supposed to issue the rule for all employers with 100 or more employees, has not done anything yet. I anticipate once that comes out, it'll probably be the subject of a legal challenge, mm -hmm. you know, almost immediately. Then we've got to watch what happens there. Is that going, is any action going to be taken? Is a judge going to put down an order, a temporary injunction preventing that from taking effect? If so, will the, that judge limit it to his or her jurisdiction? So it might be a judge in Texas, or mm -hmm. it might be the way the order is written. It, the A judge in Texas, as a general rule, can't tell us in Tennessee what to do. But the last time that we saw something somewhat similar take us back to the Obama administration, when they were trying to initially raise the threshold, the salary threshold for someone to be exempt from right, overtime. Right, I remember that. Right. Mm -hmm. And there was, a, it was again, a federal judge in Texas who put down an order, a temporary injunction, preventing that from taking place. And at that point, the Department of Labor said, okay, we'll withdraw it pending resolution of this, which meant no one had to comply. Will we see that here or will OSHA say, okay, well, that's a judge in Texas. All you people in Tennessee and Montana and New Jersey and wherever else have to comply. So, that's going to be, at best we can say, is that's going to be uncertain. But as an employer, you still got to deal with it, right? Yeah. You got to be prepared for, okay, what if I'm a federal government contractor? That What OSHA does doesn't impact me. And I can tell you for, for months now, they've been telling them in Oak Ridge, you're going to have to get vaccinated. And that's all coming to effect this month. I think December 8th is the deadline there for for everyone who's a federal contractor to be fully vaccinated employers are going to have to manage their workforce. 
How do I deal with the vaccination issue? How do I retain employees in this environment, given everything we've talked about with working from home, choosing personal desires or passions over maybe something else that you used to view as your career, that type of thing. Employers are going to have to be ready to deal with, and, and Kelly, to your point a minute ago on what else might we see come down the pike, a potential raise in the minimum wage. I mean, the Biden administration signaled that. Again, they've been too busy dealing with or occupied, however you want to say it, with COVID to get there. But we're going to see that. I noticed UT, University of Tennessee, announced yesterday that I think January, their minimum wage is going to be $15 an hour. If you work at the University of Tennessee, that's a voluntary decision. Is the federal government going to require that of all employers? I don't know. And that's going to be a huge fallout. So employers are going to have to be ready to potentially deal with that. Or alternatively, and I know this is happening locally, are they going to have to raise what they're paying as their starting pay just to keep and to attract and keep employees? Because that I know already in the Knoxville and greater Knoxville area has become an issue of, you know, there's so many reasons. There's so many people who are looking for employees now that I might leave a job I've had for a while to go make a dollar or more somewhere else, a dollar an hour or more. So that's something employers are going to have to be ready to deal with. Right. Sidebar on the UT thing. I wonder if they consulted the legislature on that. <laughs> no Pro- comment. Yeah, probably not. Yeah. I mean, I have to ask. Oh, the university is really interesting sometimes. Interesting thought. Well, recently, our company, Fletcher Marketing PR, was invited to participate in a new segment on WBIR, and it's all about the big quit and employee turnover. And earlier in my career in the, I guess it was late 90s, there was a huge talent shortage. And I worked for an agency in Atlanta, an Omnicom agency, Bernard Hodes Group. We were national, but we did all employee comms and it was all recruitment and retention so this was back in the day when companies really had to go all out to get employees so they had full-scale ad campaigns running and it was in the early days of monster.com and digital and we consulted on okay how do you approach recruitment and retention from a marketing perspective and i think that's what's going to have to happen again because we've been in an environment where, you know, you post a job on Indeed and you get 200 resumes and those days are gone. So as a as a shout out for our business, we do know how to do that. I mean, we've done it. We're, we, we can do it. I think that companies need to think about putting some marketing dollars in, in those buckets for creating campaigns that are about why someone would want to work for your company. Because we all know after this big paradigm shift of COVID that sometimes it's about the money, but a lot of times it's not about the money. It's about the culture. It's about the purpose. It's about the mission. It's about leadership. And if you're not conveying that and using marketing and public relations to do that, you are not going to win in this war for talent that is going to go on for the foreseeable future. I mean, there's there's no end in sight to how long this is going to go on. I think that's another you know point when we talk about what can you do and what you should be doing to plan as you need to be addressing that, that some of your marketing dollars need to go towards that. 
So anyway, you've already mentioned that you've seen this phenomenon impact your clients in the business community right. at large. Yes, and, and it has. It's right. G- getting enough workers, retaining them, dealing with the fact that somebody it, in, down the street is paying a dollar or two dollars an hour more. And, and there it is about the money. Or, But to your point, dealing with the, the culture standpoint, because they've been working from home and so the culture's eroded and they'd rather pursue other interests that they can do from home. And it's a challenge. It is it is a challenge. And think about just on your drive to and from your house or to and from the office, how many signs you might notice now hiring or apply within. Whether they're everywhere. They're everywhere, right? McDonald's, Food City, professional offices. I mean, they're off, they're not really going to have the sign, but, but there's always help wanted is a very common sign that you're going to see everywhere. Yeah. And you know what? We need to flip that narrative and come up with something better than help wanted. <laughs> yeah, right. That's a step. Yes. Free yeah. advice from Kelly Fletcher, point number one. Right. We, we probably ought to have a conversation with the Society of Human Resources management sherm about yeah. like and they are so good and so proactive about their own messaging to the hr industry but it's just uh yeah that's a very good point well chad this has been just such an amazing discussion as we wrap up our chat if there were a few things you would most urgently advise business owners and management teams to do to get their houses in order for the year ahead what what would that be and and for the year ahead have a plan, number one, H- have a plan to deal with your workforce, right? The the vaccination issue, you're going to have to have a plan to deal with that because you can't assume that it's going to be set aside by a court order. Have a plan to attract and retain employees, which should include, to Kelly's point, how do we market that? And and you, Kelly, a moment ago said, allocate more of your marketing dollars to talent attraction and retention. In some cases, it's going to be for the first time in a long time. Yeah, allocate some some dollars to that because employers have not done that. So they need to have a plan on that. From an internal standpoint, audit your, do an internal audit of your workforce to look at, hey, do I have any discrepancies between males and females and who are doing the same job, discrepancies in their pay rate? And if so, why is that? And do I need to address those? It's always a good time when you do an audit to audit, self-audit, your employees who are classified as salaried exempt, so they're exempt from overtime, to make sure that how you've classified them is actually what they're doing so that they meet the exemption. That way, if the Department of Labor comes in and does a random audit, which they can do at any time, you're not going to run into a situation where, wait a minute, I had Chad classified as salaried exempt, and it turns out he's not, and I owe him all this overtime for all these hours he works in excess of 40 in a week. So that's something that needs to be done. Something that should be done every year, training, right? Look at training, training on hostile work environment, sexual harassment. I would add to that training, diversity training, diversity awareness, because that is such a hot button topic, as we've alluded to and discussed today. Those are just a few of the things. Uh, And then I guess finally, you know, be prepared, be looking from a business standpoint. If the minimum wage goes way up and way up could be, three, five, eight dollars an hour, whatever it might, how am I going to deal with that? I mean, and, and and that's a hard one, right? Because it impacts, it's easy to say, all right, I'm paying $7.25 now minimum wage. If I have to pay $10.50, that's not a big deal because it's only so many employees. Well, right. But what happens, as you all well know, it has a ladder effect going up because whoever you're paying at $10.50 right now, they're going to expect a raise too. Employers need to be looking at that. I would say that's sort of a short list of things that 
forward planning, always planning, as we discussed, those are some things that they can do to be better prepared for what 2022 brings. And let's all hope that it's a little different than what 2020 and 2021 have been. But as we've discussed today, we know that some of it that we've been dealing with is still going to be with us and we got to be prepared to handle it. Well, and I, I would uh, just add a footnote on some of those last points about you know, how, how are employers going to deal with those issues in an inflationary environment Good to point. compound all of those other issues? I mean, how do you do that kind of payroll boost when raise you've got... Pr- you'd have to raise prices. Yeah, I mean, right. this is all going to come home to roost to the consumer, right. consumer price. And it's uh, more podcasts for other days and in the future. I can see it all happening. Yeah, we're going to have to My have eyes you. are glazing over yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> don't, At least they're not twitching. Right? <laughs> well, yeah, just it's a matter of time. But I'm sure we'll be calling you yet again for another retrospective in about a year or so as to where, how you think things are continuing to pan out from this. Well, I would always, I would appreciate that. I always love to spend time with with you all. And again, you do a wonderful job for your clients. And I appreciate the opportunity to to visit with you and, and share my thoughts. Well, you're just a wealth of knowledge. And on top of that, you're a really nice person, Chad. <laughs> Thank so, you. You're one attorney that I really, really like. <laughs> <laughs> Our team always advocates for the PR function to coordinate closely with legal in any organization. And we appreciate that you share that that same opinion. And, and thank you for being on, on our side on that. Absolutely. And to our listeners, you can connect with Chad Hatmaker on LinkedIn and follow his Twitter handle at jchadhatmaker. Please follow us on Twitter handle Fletcher PR. You can also follow Kelly at Twitter handle KD Fletcher and me at Mary Beth West. And we'll respond to your questions and comments, so please post them using the hashtag MSinterpreted, and that's hashtag MSinterpreted, and that's with a capital PR. We'd love to hear from you, love uh, for you to share our podcast if you enjoy it, and also uh, drop us a line about what subjects and topics you might want to hear more about in the marketing PR social media space. And thanks for joining us, everyone. Until next time. Thanks for joining us on Misinterpreted, Public Relations Demystified. You can keep up with the latest on the podcast at FletcherMarketingPR.com and on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll see you next time.